This is episode 97 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Remote Leading with Wayne Termell. This episode is part of a series of daily or near daily episodes during the time of the coronavirus pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am thrilled to welcome a new guest to the show today. I've got Wayne Termell with me, and I'll introduce him. He has been obsessed with helping people communicate and lead people, projects, and teams. For the last 12 years, he's been focused on virtual communication and leading dispersed and remote workforces. Wayne is with Kevin Eikenberry, the co-founder of the Remote Leadership Institute. He's the author of 12 books including The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership, Meet Like You Mean It, A Leader's Guide to Painless and Productive Virtual Meetings, and three novels to boot. He's in Las Vegas. And welcome to the show, Wayne. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Lovely to be here. All right. We're going to talk about uh, remote leadership, which seems very appropriate in these days of corona. Uh, What got you started in studying remote leadership? I don't know that it was remote leadership specifically. When I got into the corporate training world, I I really came at it from the communication standpoint. And while leadership is part of that, I, I really was focused on presentation skills, communication skills. That's where my uh, interest in leadership comes from is how we communicate with each other. I was working for a company that specialized in presentation skills, as you would think of them, you know, front of the room kind of traditional presentation skills. And I remember somebody saying, you know, this is all great, but I only talk to real people like four times a year. Mm. And they said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, I work remotely from the rest of my team and there's this new thing out called WebEx that I use a lot. And I just don't do as much face-to-face communication as I used to do. And I, I, I became kind of intrigued by this notion that there was this tool, and now this whole set of tools, right, that people are expected to use. And yet, back then, certainly, nobody was teaching people how to use it. It was like, here's your WebEx license. Try not to hurt someone. <laughs> And it was a different form of communication. And so when I left that company and went out on my own with my own company, I really focused on how do you do webinars? How do you hold meetings? How do you present effectively, right? Just as presentation skills are core for a leader or a good salesperson or whatever, how do you take those skills and transfer them when you're a thousand miles away from your audience? And 
at the time, very, very few people were doing that. And so I came at it that way. Uh, my own company, greatwebmeetings.com, really focused on that piece. Meanwhile, Kevin Eikenberry was doing great work with remarkable leadership and, and all of that. And together, I was getting a lot of requests to do more straight leadership stuff. He was getting a lot more requests to work. Uh, how do you do it remotely? Mm. And it just kind of made sense for us to merge forces and rather than reinvent the wheel, you know, take this little focus. So uh, Remote Leadership Institute is kind of a division, if you will, of the larger Kevin Eikenberry group. And I'm honored to work with Kevin on that. Yeah, it's so timely right now. And I'm looking forward to our conversation because I think people like back then, but now on steroids are being thrown into a, a brand new style of management. Now, we can't tell everyone everything that there is to know about remote leadership in this episode, but can you give us a couple of really key things to keep in mind? Well, I, I think particularly in this time where people are suddenly tossed into doing it and maybe haven't been properly prepared or trained, I think the first thing is to remember that it's always been possible. I mean, Genghis Khan ruled half the known world and never held a Zoom meeting. Hmm. Right. So it can, in fact, be done. Uh, <laughs> the uh-huh. things that make leaders great and the things that make teams work uh, will continue to work. You know, Julius Caesar did great out in the field. It's when he went back to the home office that things kind of went sideways. So the thing to remember is that it can, in fact, be done if you stop and ask yourself, what is it? that is asked of the leader at this point. And if you know that, then you can say, okay, so given the constraints of working remotely, how do I do that, right? If, we're, if we stop and we're mindful about our role as leaders, what is the right thing to do? The answer generally presents itself. It's when we're running around stomping on fires like we're playing whack-a-mole and we're not really... Uh, you know, we're so busy running that we're not mindful of our actions that the fact that we're not remote gets us into trouble. So the first thing I would say is that it can, in fact, be done. And the second thing, I think, is that we need to be aware of the vacuum that exists when we work remotely, and that it is our job to fill that information vacuum. For example, if I work in the office and everybody's out in cube land out there and I walk through, I can get a pretty good sense of who's having a good day, who's having a bad day, you know, who's beating their head on the monitor, and I can wander over and go, is something wrong? Mm -hmm. And it all happens very naturally and organically. If my team is all scattered, I have no idea what's going on out there. Yeah. And not knowing in and of itself isn't bad. It's not like I'm a micromanaging weasel and I need to know everything that's happening every second of the day, but I can't help if I don't know. And I could be making assumptions about what people are doing, what people know, how well it's going for them that may not be true. Mm -hmm. 
So the amount of information that we get and the way we get it ha has changed radically. And that's our job is to not only get the information that we need to do our job, right? Are they working? What are they working on? How's it going? Are they going to meet the deadlines? All of that stuff. But to re be a resource for them so that they know what they should be doing and they know where to get help if they need it. And they're getting the all the stuff that leaders don't do enough of, right? The coaching and the feedback and all of those things. We know that those things need to happen. Once we realize, okay, we're working remotely. Now, how do we make that happen? We're probably in good shape. It's when you forget about that stuff that you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. So a couple of takeaways for me in there is this idea of perspective knowing what's expected of you and how you're going to fulfill people's expectations. And then the second one is kind of engagement. And we're going to talk quite a bit about that more in the episode, but that's something that keeps coming back to me, as you say, in the vacuum. Mm -hmm. how, how are you engaging with your people in a helpful way? So let's talk about this thing I really enjoyed reading yesterday, this lovely article you wrote called How Using Webcams Makes You Happy. And so tell us uh, why you said that. Well, for years now, I've been trying to convince people to use their webcams at work. And we're, we finally, I think, have reached the hundredth monkey point where people are a little less miserable and resistant than they used to be, but most people don't like it. One of the universal truths about webcams is everybody loves seeing the other person on uh -huh. webcam. Right. And none of us like to be on it ourselves. But I've spent a lot of time using data and science and reason and logic and all of this stuff to convince people to use their webcams. And I realized the other day something that's really important. And during this time of corona, work at home, kind of enforced isolation, this is really important. One thing I noticed is that whenever somebody else shows up on the webcam, I catch myself smiling. Mm -hmm. And that's a human response to seeing another human, mm -hmm. right? You see somebody else and it's natural that we smile and we greet somebody and we feel better when we're face to face and not working in a vacuum. And for those who are not used to working from home, that's going to be really important, that sense of connection, that sense of humanity. And it it grows from there. You know, a lot of people resist using their webcam, Jennifer, because, oh, you know, I don't work in a really nice home office. I'm at the north end of the dining room table and, you know, the cat's in my lap and the kid's running in. And so what? Yeah. Unless you are on with the CEO, unless you are conducting a major sales negotiation. I mean, if you've got a client on the phone, I get it. But if it's just you and your teammates and the kid runs into the room, you know what your teammates are going to say? Hi, Casey, how are you? Mm -hmm. sure. Right? The cat jumps up in your lap and you're all mortified. And the person on the other end goes, oh, what's your baby's name? Mm -hmm. It's all part of our sense of connection. And believe me, for somebody who is a curmudgeon and is basically antisocial as I am, this has been a huge uh, awakening in my thinking. This notion that 
you know, if we're working, we're working and it's serious and it's deadly serious and our, our personal life has no role. Nonsense. It has a role when we all work together. You're at the coffee pot. You talk about your kids. You've got a picture of your dog on your desk. All of that good stuff. Now, when we are forcibly isolated and we're not used to working this way, anything that connects us is not a bad thing, as long as it doesn't massively interfere with our productivity. Yeah, I think right now, because things are so strange, it's really helpful to see each other as human beings. And maybe when things calm down, we can go back to worrying about things like professionalism and all that. But I think right now, especially for people who are looking to their leaders to see their leaders be human beings. Mm -hmm. I think that could be quite reassuring to people. Well, and especially because a lot of us are working from home under less than ideal conditions. And we have kids that are stuck in the house, right? We can't send them off to school so that we have an eight hour workday uninterrupted. We have older parents and the dog needs walking and all of that stuff. And if leaders ignore that and just know this is about work, doggone it, and ignore <laughs> people's reality, it's not going to go well. People need to feel supported and right now, the fact that you're a human being getting your job done under less than ideal circumstances is more important to me than that you have a door in, in your office and the kids stay the heck away like they should. Yeah, I feel like it's too much to ask right now, to ask people to cope with what they're having to cope with. And on top of that, be super paranoid about what's hanging on their walls behind them or you know, all the things that... It's just inappropriate, in my opinion, to put that much pressure on somebody. Well, and I can't even tell you how many great sales conversations I've had because I see what's hanging on somebody's wall behind them. Mm -hmm. And, oh, you support the Chicago Blackhawks or you, you went to this university or what's that picture of? Did you go there? Those types of conversations. And so, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a 59-year-old guy raised in the traditional business world. And in many ways, I'm kind of a dinosaur traditionalist about how business is done. But you have to allow for people to connect in very real ways. And, and I'll give you a really simple example. And, and this feels silly. Skype for Business it is a really good tool. It's not perfect, but it's a really good tool. And when I first started using it, one of the things I noticed was that in the chat section, there were like 50 emoticons, all the ones you'd expect, thumbs up, thumbs down. But some of them were just silly and goofy. And, and the dinosaur old guy part of me was like, ah, this is nonsense. Wait. But people use those emoticons because they're desperate to connect. Just as you would in a meeting, you lean over and you bust somebody's chops or you make mm -hmm. a joke or you uh, try to take the sting out of the way you say something. That's what those emoticons are for. And as long as you're being professional, it's intended to help us get to know each other and get each other's communication styles and change the dynamic of communication and make it as rich as we can under less than ideal circumstances. Yeah, it adds a component. And and also it could introduce humor, which I think is just enormously powerful. 
you know, one of the things, I and mean, I geek out about this stuff so you don't have to, right? <laughs> but one of the things that nobody talks about, and I am obsessed with, is that for the first time in human history, 75% or more of business communication takes place in writing. Emails, instant messages, documents. Never in human history has that been the case. Well, think about emails, text messages, and all of that business writing. How do you get across personality? How do you get across tone? How do you understand that the person has read and accepted the message? How do you know they're even going to take action? You don't, mm -hmm. right? And, and my first corporate job, the first big project I worked on was rolling out email to my company. A, that's how old I am, but also how fairly recent in business communication this is. Well, if 75, 80 or more percentage of your communication is email and text and all that, how does that influence how we communicate and how we build relationships and how do we do that? right? It's easy to default to. Well, I know I probably could have talked to her about it, but I was in a hurry. So I sent her an email. So now she knows. Right. Yeah. It's fraught with problems. And it's not that it's not a fabulous tool. Mm -hmm. No. Because it is. <laughs> Agreed. Right. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing tool if it's used properly and if we use the right tool for the right reasons. All right. So we're in a situation now where people have been uh, hurled out of their offices, stuck at home, and everybody's gone into hand wavy mode. Oh, just just work from home. Well, everything will be remote. What are your concerns about what could go wrong with so little preparation? Well, there's a few things, and it depends. I mean, let's break this up logically. From the manager's side, you don't know what people are working on, right? You've given them tasks. They've said, yes, I get it. So you assume that they get it, but how do you get the information that you need? If you have a question, you can't just poke your head out of the office or poke your head over the cube like a meerkat and ask them what's going on, right? It takes much more work to proactively communicate with somebody. Uh, things that happen organically, things like offering feedback. You see somebody at the coffee machine and you go, oh, Jennifer, really good job on the way you handled the Jackson account. I loved how you did that. We tend not to give as much positive feedback when we're working remotely because we need an excuse and people can't see me putting air quotes around excuse. We need a compelling reason to pick up the phone or communicate with somebody who's remote because it takes work, right? Not, not a ton of work, but it takes thought and action in order to do that. And most of us wait until we have a really good reason to do that. So we wait until something is a big deal, which means we're really proactive about delivering corrective feedback or bad news, we are way less proactive about the little pieces of good news that keep relationships strong. On the worker side, there's a whole bunch of problems that if leaders aren't aware of can bubble up. One is 
you know, while the leaders, especially senior leaders, are all freaked out, well, are they working? How do we know they're working? The problem is not that people aren't working. The problem could be what they're working on because studies show that when left to their own devices, people get really focused on their tasks and their task list. And it's really important that the manager knows I'm doing my job. And so their individual tasks get completed, but not necessarily the collaboration, the brainstorming, the talking with their peers that used to happen when everybody was in the office. Mm, Interesting. Anybody who has worked from home a couple of days a week because you can get more stuff done. Yeah, right. Right. Understands that when you're working without interruptions, you can get those tasks checked off your list. But productivity is not activity. Mm -hmm. So are they working? The second thing, and bosses turn a blind eye to this very frequently until it becomes a problem The problem is not that people aren't working. The problem is they work longer hours without structure. I roll out of bed in the morning. I check my phone. Oh my gosh, there's an email. I go to to my desk. I start responding to emails. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Suddenly it's 10 o'clock and I'm still in my pajamas and I haven't showered and maybe I've had breakfast. And towards the end of the day, well, there's still stuff that needs to be done. And I didn't get stuff done during the day. So I'll just work a little bit later. Oh, look, more emails. And because we don't have the structure to our day that says leave the house, drop the kids off at school, you know, drive to work, get to the office at a certain time, start work, leave the office at a certain time and drive away. Amazingly, we get our work done during the workday when we have that structure. Without that structure, it gets away from us. And when people can't balance their work and their home life, when they feel like they're working from sunup to sundown, all of those things, it can lead to burnout and disengagement. And the one thing that I want leaders to be aware of is that remote workers voluntarily turn over at a higher rate than people who work in the office. Mm, Interesting. Well, think about it. There's no barrier to quitting your job. If I have to drive and commute to the office, my life revolves around that routine. And I know how long it takes and it's not too onerous and I've got the rhythm and my kids and all that stuff. And so for me to change jobs might be a really big deal. I have to go the other direction against traffic. Maybe it's a longer commute. So I tend to stay where I'm put. If I'm working remotely and I disengage from my job or my manager annoys me and I know there's another job out there, literally the only barrier to my changing job is which network I log into and what's my new password. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. So if we don't keep our employees engaged, if we don't build relationships, if we don't make them part of the organization and create an environment that people want to be in, it's much easier for them to leave. I see. Interesting. I told you, I think about this stuff so you don't have to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's again, that kind of level of disengagement or yeah, several removes away. Uh, Let's see. Do you think it's helpful to work out some ground rules ahead of time? I'll call you at such and such time, or do you think it's better to stay flexible and fluid? 
I think it's mandatory to set out ground rules. Uh, you can't work without some sort of system in place. That said, rigid rigor to that um, can sometimes be a mistake. Stuff happens. We're supposed to talk on Tuesday, but it's Thursday afternoon and I need something to get my work done. Do I wait till Thursday or do I reach out? Of course I reach out. I think that there needs to be a process in place. I think if you have a hybrid team, which is one where you've got some people in the office and some working remotely, you need to understand that treating people equally is not the same thing as treating them the same. So for example, I have a standing appointment with each of my people every two weeks. Okay. But the people in the office can see you in the hallway. They can poke their head into your office. They know when you're working and say, hey, I have a question. You can look out at them and go, oh, Alice doesn't look busy. I'll ask her. Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing with your remote folks. So you might have that same hour scheduled with them every two weeks, but you don't have all of that accidental and incidental interaction and data. You might have a question for them, but you don't know if they're busy and you don't want to interrupt them. So you take it somewhere else. And it, and then when it's time for a coaching call, the people in the office get taken into a separate room. It's quiet. They have your undivided attention. You do your coaching call with Jennifer while you're driving to your next appointment. Oh, they're not getting the same. They're still getting an hour of your time. They're not getting the same attention. No. And so you have to build that structure. In general, remote folks need shorter, more frequent communication than folks in the office. In general, and some of that is going to be some of that's going to be based on work style and one thing or another. But you need to have agreements with people, and not everybody on your team is going to have the same plan for communication. Any pitfalls that we should watch out for? Anything counterintuitive? The scariest words, if you are an employee and you're not around the boss all the time, you know what the scariest words in the English language are? Tell me. Hey, have you got a minute? Mm. I'm working away. I'm doing what I think my boss wants me to do. And up pops a Slack message and it says, hey, do you have a minute? You're a boss. You're the manager. You're a, a benevolent human being. It's a perfectly innocent question. You just need some information. But the amount of drama you've just created on the other end of the line, completely unintentionally, because what do they think? Depending on the kind of day they're having, what have I done now? Oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. I have to stop what I'm doing and talk to the boss. Um, even though what I'm doing is really important and I'm on a deadline. It's a simple, innocent question, but it creates all kinds of, it's like when your spouse walks into the house and says, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's worse, but yeah, I get it. could it. just be, hey, did you see, you know, somebody clipped our garbage can, right? It could just be something really minor, but the minute you hear, we need to talk, there's a whole opera that goes on in your head. <laughs> it's the same thing because they can't see you walking across the room and gauge what kind of mood you're in or what you're about by the way you approach their desk. All they know is you're suddenly there wanting to talk. 
And that's a really common one. So, you know, when you do have to in, engage with people, a really simple, hey, do you have a minute? I need to ask you about X. Hey, can you get me some information on this? I kind of need it by the end of the day, right? Give people some context for the request. Hey, have you got a minute? I, I don't need to talk right now, but if we could talk this morning, that'd be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Right. Give them some context, give them some help so that these requests don't come out of the blue and they sound like a bigger deal than in fact they are, unless it's a really big deal. Right. (laughs) And then, hey, I need to talk to you right now. Do you have a second? And if it's bad news, it's bad news. I mean, that's the way of the world. But don't create drama where it's unnecessary. I'm observing two problems. One is I'm hearing stories about managers sort of constantly checking up on their employees, uh, wanting them to be practically under surveillance to make sure that they're working, uh, compared to some people who seem to be kind of checking out themselves and kind of abandoning their employees, um, which is a problem with managers often anyways, that they ignore their people. What are you seeing on your side? Well, I think that, you know, the easy answer is, yes, I'm seeing those things. Uh, And that doesn't help you at all. I think it goes back to what we said right at the beginning, which is good leadership is good leadership, Mm. right? If you're micromanaging and you're managing the tasks and not the process, right? And you're more concerned about tasks than people, that's going to show up and be magnified when you work remotely. The problem with micromanaging from a distance is you can't do it, mm. right? It is actually impossible to do. And there are organizations that send shutters up my spine when they say things like, oh, we monitor what time people log into the network and when they leave. And some even have keystroke monitors and, and some other things. It's just horrifying and terrifying. And I understand, depending on business, why that happens, but it's not healthy. On the other hand, managers who don't pay enough attention to people's performance, who manage by putting out fires and not being thoughtful about the way they interact with people and consciously building rapport and coaching people and doing all those things, it's very, very easy to tune out. I know at the height of my working for a living for a big company career, you know, I was managing 20 instructors around the world. I had no way of being in touch with everybody all the time. And so I frequently found myself thinking, well, I'm an approachable person. They're adults. If they have a question, they'll approach me. Meanwhile, I'll put my efforts here. And constantly surprised when I got blindsided by problems. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, micromanaging stuff doesn't work. That's why you need a plan. How often are you going to check in? What are you looking for? What's important, right? Is it important that they log on and log off and sit in their chair for a certain number of hours in a day? Or is it important that by Friday, all the work that they were assigned this week is complete? Because working remotely may or may not involve flexibility. Right. One of the reasons people work from home is I don't have a commute and I can go to the gym at lunch or I can go to my kid's school and pick them up and drop them off or I can make an emergency target run in the middle of the day. And as long as people know where I am and they can reach me, it's not a big deal. Right. 
Are we managing activity or are we managing outputs? And especially right now, when people are trapped in their house with their families and they've got little kids who are not going to leave them alone for eight hours uninterrupted. And the dog is going to demand to go out. And you just need to be able to get up and go outside for a walk and see the sun and, you know, get some fresh air during the course of a day. And if you need to be away from your desk for 20 minutes or even an hour, it's not the end of the world as long as the work is getting done. It's going to change the way we approach our work. And to be honest, we should have been managing by outputs a long time ago. Yeah. And we've still got that punch o'clock mentality where if you're not at your desk when I call, I immediately need to know where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, I'd like to move us away from that as well. It's really interesting what you're saying there. It's it's as though remote working or remote managing exacerbates problematic managing to begin with. So the micromanagers become more micromanaging and the ones who ignore their employees ignore them even more. <laughs> it's like it, it exacerbates those, those management uh, errors to begin with. Yeah, I think it really does. Um, it's kind of, like I say, Genghis Khan made it work, right? If you're thoughtful and mindful, we, we get people all the time, and, and you know this, the irony of the professional development industry is that the people who come to you are not the ones who need it most, mm-hmm. right? The people who take our classes and sit on our webinars and read our newsletter and all of that good stuff are the ones who already know that there are gaps and they're mindful of them and they want to be as good as they can be. And I will bet you, if you looked at the bell curve, the people who voluntarily take that development and and think about it and read about it and do all that stuff are on the far end already. Those are your best managers already. Mm-hmm. Right. right, people who need it generally don't volunteer to get better. It's kind of the nature of what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, it strikes me that as people are working on this problem, that they've identified that training is needed for remote managing and remote leading. That we have an opportunity. Well, you have an opportunity to fix some of these management errors. I mean, I'm hopeful that that might come out of this. I think that what's happened is a lot of organizations have known for a while that they needed to address this. And like every problem in the world, this is not strictly a corporate America problem, although Lord knows it's there. People don't change. People don't invest in change until there's a compelling reason. Mm-hmm. And so I could talk to people in HR and corporate strategy and organizational development, and everybody knew that this was going to be a thing and they were going to have to get to it eventually. And we're thinking maybe next year's. Right? And I've been hearing that for 12 years, certainly the last five. Some organizations have been prepared for something like the corona shut-in for a long time. Some are 
a week ahead of the curve, right? They've just started. I have a client who said, you know, we wanted 80% of our workforce to be remote by June. And oh, yeah, it's 100% in March. Right. But at least there was a plan and there was some thinking about it. And there was the beginning of a process. And depends on the type of work they do, right? Some types of work lend themselves to working from home more than others. Sure. Right? If you're in a call center and your job is to take the next call and make sure people aren't on the line, you're going to have less flexibility than an accountant who, as long as the report is done and payroll's in, if you do that at 7 o'clock at night or 10 in the morning, is kind of not relevant. Mm Mm-hmm. So some organizations are prepared, others are finding themselves having to react quickly. And tell me an instance in business where that isn't the case. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, that, that's true. So I'm kind of old school also about uh, interacting with your staff and used to err on the side of being a professional and not interfering in people's personal lives. And I sort of learned over my many years to not make that uh, quite uh, so stringent. And I'm especially cognizant of that now where I think people might be rather frightened. And uh, so I'm thinking about how managers who haven't had a very close relationship with their employees can check on them and make sure they're okay. Do you have any advice about that? Yeah, and I'll be honest. My boss, Kevin, does this just superbly, uh, which isn't surprising because he literally wrote the book on it, right? <laughs> but what he's been doing is, first of all, instead of monthly team meetings, we've been having about every week or 10 days, we're having a team, full team meeting with webcams with everybody on the line. We had a sales meeting this morning which is our fourth one this month, and it's the 24th, uh, which we never meet that often as a team. First couple of minutes of everybody's report was, what's going on? How are you guys doing? How's it going? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Find out what's going on in people's lives, because if Joe, your best accountant, is in a house full of screaming children, or they have parents across town who are at risk. Mm-hmm. That's going to influence how they do their work. It just is. And if you ignore that and you put more pressure on your accountant to be present and get the work done when their brain is really, really concerned about a sick parent, mm-hmm. you are A, not going to get the best work out of that person. You're going to create more stress in that working relationship between you and them and potentially do some serious damage Mm -hmm. to the existing, to the relationship, to their feelings about you as their manager and about their organization. You got to remember, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers for the most part. Yeah. Okay, what uh, resources would you recommend for people um, in, as they're scrambling around trying to get smart about this? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, <laughs> you know, the obvious answer is why the Remote Leadership Institute, of course. What a silly question. Um, but I think that there are 
a number of resources out there. LinkedIn, for example, is full of articles. If you just hashtag telework or remote leadership, you will find all kinds of great information. YouTube has tons of videos right now, ranging from the technical, right? How do I use Slack and Microsoft Teams and all of these things to meeting techniques and other things. I think that, you know, there are a lot of good people out in this space. I mean, besides Kevin and myself, there are people like Roger Corville and Trina Helfing and all kinds of folks. Uh, you know, a simple search on Amazon will for either remote work or remote teams will find you lots and lots of good content. And the, the gimmick is find their book, then find their website, and I guarantee they're going to have blogs and downloadable resources and all kinds of things that you can find in a hurry. Um, there are all kinds of free opportunities like webinars. I mean, we did... I think we've done four webinars in the last two weeks. Oh, wow. Because people are asking us questions and we're trying to be responsive and get that information out there. Now, the one thing that I will tell you, and I don't need to tell you, Jennifer, is webinars are not training. They are good information. They can give you some stuff to think about, but they are not training. Real training, real learning is experiential and deeper and you can't sit while you munch on a sandwich with somebody for 45 minutes and think that you are that much smarter. <laughs> it's a it's a surface cure and it's better than nothing. So take advantage of the opportunities where where the where you can. Well, thank you so much. And I wanted to see if you wanted to tell the listeners how they could follow your work or learn more about your institute or anything you'd like to share with them. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, RemoteLeadershipInstitute.com. I know it's a handful and you'll probably type institute wrong <laughs> the first time you try it. Uh, didn't really think about that when we created the company. Uh, <laughs> RemoteLeadershipInstitute.com has a ton of blogs and free resources and stuff. Uh, Kevin Eikenberry Group, we actually have a special page set up for wor emergency working from home during COVID. KevinEikenberry.com slash COVID-19. Oh, nice. There's lots of, of stuff up there. We've spent a lot of the last couple of weeks just front-loading it with tons of content. Remote Leadership Institute has a Twitter feed. It's at Leading Remotely. My personal Twitter feed is at WTermel. You will get some work stuff. You'll get a whole bunch of silliness that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Sounds like Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, my Amazon page, Amazon author page, has a lot of my books, including Long Distance Leader and Meet Like You Mean It and some others, as well as my novels, if you're shut in and bored. So <laughs> right. Good. So that's a pretty lengthy list. Yeah, no, lots, lots of stuff to follow up on for sure. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for helping spread the word and and you know, we're all, one thing about this industry, as you know, Jennifer, is none of us are in it for the money. True. 
uh, <laughs> you know, or we'd have done something way different with our lives. <laughs> uh, and right now, when people are scared and nervous and flailing, it is when we are at our best. And, and it makes us feel like we're getting out of bed with a purpose in the morning. So happy to be here. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-E, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you. <laughs>